Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Thanks for joining us today. It's Thursday, February 18, 2021, and today is not a very good day for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. As a matter of fact, this last week has been pretty awful, too. We here at the Water Cooler call, and there you see it, King Cuomo for all of his authoritative lockdown measures during COVID, not to mention how the media has always thought Cuomo is like king of the world when it came to battling COVID in his state. But today, the FBI now investigating how the governor of New York handled the nursing home crisis, crisis excuse me, since we have now discovered that he hid the data on the real number of deaths in nursing homes for months. That's, I, mean, I can't even go there. All right, so much more, and we're going to discuss it all in a moment. Also today, imagine being a pro-life Democrat in today's America. <laughs> They're not easy to find, but guess what? We found one. He'll be with us today talking about his bold move to go against his own political party and support a major fetal heartbeat bill down in South Carolina. It's an interesting story for sure. And Nancy Pelosi, back in front of the microphones at her weekly press conference, she says the House will vote on the big, some say way too big, COVID stimulus bill late next week. Republicans think there are about, a, I don't know, $1.9 trillion reasons or trillion reasons to vote against a bill that big. But Democrats look like they're going to push it forward anyhow. Also at her press conference today, Pelosi was asked whether she thinks all teachers in America should be vaccinated when they eventually return to school. Have a look. Well, that depends on, the, I think, the degree of the incidence of COVID in their area. Uh, I think I think teachers should be vaccinated. I don't know that they must be vaccinated before going in. We're very proud of what's in our bill when it comes to education, because this is where we're saying that we want the children to be in school. Again, I told you about my daughter not having water in Houston. I have a granddaughter in public school uh, in um, San Francisco. So I see the the need for that to happen. Again, in her case, she has all the technology and the assistance at home, and some children do not. So we want as many kids to be back in school as possible. For that to happen, it takes some money. It takes some money because you have to have spatial distancing, which means you need more space. Therefore, you need more teachers. Therefore, you need more buses for, for kids to be spaced to come to school. You need better ventilation. 40% of the school public schools in the country have uh, substandard ventilation uh, in the class, and that is very important. So for all of those reasons, we're very pleased with what is in the legislation and more, uh, those and more. The, uh, we, I think that uh, I want everybody to be vaccinated, and I certainly want our teachers to be. Uh, but it, depending on what the situation is in their area, it may or may not be necessary. 
All right, well, you can get more on Nancy Pelosi's comments by going to the JTN website over at justthenews.com. All right, we want to now dive into the governor uh, story out there in New York, Andrew Cuomo. I mean, what a disaster this thing has turned into him, uh, into for him. I mean, look, the guy wrote a book <laughs> about how great he was at tackling COVID, but let's be honest, that's like Donald Trump writing a book on best Twitter etiquette practices, if you know what I mean. Oy Gavolt. All right. Joining me now to discuss all of this is Jerry Kasser, the chairman of the New York State Conservative Party. Uh, Jerry, really appreciate you being here. You're welcome. Well, look, I mean, like if this was like a space mission conducted by NASA, we would be saying, Albany, we have a problem. Your take. Well, Albany, uh, New York, America, we have a big problem here. We have a problem that from day one, uh, should have been a concern because 10,000 nursing home debts was certainly a problem. But many of us here, particularly individuals who had family in nursing homes, my mother was in a nursing home, knew that there was a lot going on in these nursing homes that was not being reported, although we could not prove it. I mean, there were advocacy groups. There were just families. It was just generally known that things were worse than they were reporting. And a lot of this was due, we knew, because of a March executive order from the uh, or order from the Department of Health, signed off by the governor, which indicated that individuals who are in recovery from COVID could be sent back to nursing homes for the recovery, and it became evident that that was a gigantic mistake. It became evident to the public. It didn't apparently become evident to the governor because even when warned him and his health department that this was creating a problem. They refused to reverse the order. They wanted to blame the federal government, which was inaccurate. It was proven to be inaccurate. And now, many, many months later, through an apparent mistake in an admission by the secretary to the governor, who is the highest appointed figure in the state government, the secretary to the governor, the highest appointed figure, she admitted to the Democratic members of the state legislature that they were involved in a cover-up and that the number was actually 50 percent higher than they were admitting to, which was a terrible number to begin with. Mm -hmm. So now you have it. You have a cover-up emanating from the highest appointed person in the government, appointed by, the gov by Governor Cuomo. And now we play off of that because that's where we are right now. Well, and Jerry, here's the problem, I would think, for Cuomo. He's starting to lose Democrats. I, I, I mean, they want to take away some of, what, his powers over what he wants to do with COVID. And, it, and it's not just that. They, they've got egg on their face, the whole party up there. Well, the, um, this is a unique situation where conservatives and progressives united against the center of the Democratic establishment, which is led by the governor, because both sides understand that you cannot allow something like this to continue. A crime was very likely um, committed. And that particular, that particular crime is being looked at by the possibility of a crime by the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn. And um, we'll see where that goes. But we're talking about uh, dozens of state Democratic legislators on an audio vi video call with the secretary to the governor where she makes it clear for strictly political purposes they refused to release the information as though the president of the United States was a politician operating as a politician, not as the president of the United States. So you take a crime, you throw on another piece of cynicism and you end up with Cuomo. 
prime and, and, and you know, cynic, a cynic view of, of how you conduct state business in this state. And um, frankly, you get a guy that's ending a third term on a really negative note. If not a criminal note. Yeah. So, so Jerry, now we've got word right about uh, him threatening, if you will, this state representative, uh, uh, representative Kim down there in uh, is it is it Brooklyn? I'm not I'm not sure if it's yeah, no, he's over in Queens. Queens. I'm sorry, Queens. What do you make What do you make of of this? Because now now he now we got Cuomo basically uh, harassing and threatening uh, folks over this and, and a possible so, uh, cover up. So look, I had um, I had worked for a number of years for the state legislature, and I can tell you that I was very much aware on a first, on a you know on a, on a the basis of the fact that I worked there of legislators periodically getting phone calls directly from the governor or his secretary, the senior, the secretary to the governor, threatening them for one reason or another. The situation with Kim though was more blatant in the sense that. This assemblyman's uncle died in a nursing home uh, from COVID, and the assemblyman has a certain emotional level of involvement in this, yeah. which, made, which made it even more atrocious that he could get such a bullying phone call. No one is surprised by this. People are finally beginning to react. It's long overdue, but maybe we'll get some justice for the people of the state of New York and these families uh, when, when this, as this thing begins to become adjudicated. So, Jerry, let me ask you about the justice portion of this. You say as it becomes adjudicated, uh, is there any sense at all what they're doing out there in California with Newsom and they want to impeach him and everything and remove him from office? What kind of mechanisms are in place in New York at all about some sort of effort in that regard? Well, we do not have a recall or, for that matter, initiative and referendum. And I can say as the state chairman of the party, we support that. But I will tell you this. The assembly minority, the assembly Republicans have put in a, a resolution today, and I know they're doing it with the Senate re, uh, Republicans, to um, create, uh, under the authority of the state constitution, the first steps in an impeachment process, a commission on impeachment, which would go through a formal, um, in, which would begin a formal legislative investigation. Mm -hmm. Remember, we, 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 there are many talking about impeachment. There are others talking about seeing that he doesn't win re-election. And of course, there's the uh, the other the, the the group that is actually talking about potentially criminal indictments, you really can't find anyone that is not on the governor's staff that has anything good to say about the governor <laughs> these days. And it's a nonpartisan, uh, as you indicated earlier, activity. So, Jerry, I want to understand what you're saying. Is there a mechanism? There's not a mechanism for recalling the governor in the state. But no, there, New say it again. New York, New York, New York State is. Uh, not really as progressive in some ways as one would hope. <laughs> but what about, but, but when I say recall, there's a difference between recall and impeachment? No, the whole thing is the same. No, no, if you, well, there is a difference. Recall could be done by the voters. Impeachment can only be done by the legislature. Well, but is there any sort of sense that there's a movement there, a, a potential well, movement yes. there? Yeah, there is a, there, but it's by Republicans. I haven't seen any Democrats join it yet, but mm -hmm. let's see what happens. Uh, there are certainly Democrats that are that have made very, very extraordinarily strong statements. This first move is being made by the GOP in the Assembly and Senate, and they're in the minorities. They, they, we do not control either house of the state legislature or side. Yeah, Jerry Casser, really appreciate your time. Thanks for thanks for uh, drilling down and explaining a lot of this to us.
Good luck to you. You're very welcome. Keep up the good work. All right. Thank appreciate you. it, Jerry. All right. That's the state chairman of the New York State uh, Conservative Party. Uh, boy, I tell you what, uh, as we say at the top, King Cuomo, I mean, he, he's in a, in a world of trouble, definitely from a PR perspective, possibly from a federal investigation perspective as well. All right. When we come back, uh, Democrat Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, a regular on the show. She's back to talk about the Biden administration and how were they doing in the first hundred days? We're back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, the 100 day time clock, time clock, what is it called? Timeline, whatever it is, who cares what it's called? Anyhow, it's ticking. Uh, 100 days needs to go by pretty quickly. And what are they going to get done exactly? And what have they gotten done? Well, from an executive order standpoint, quite a bit. Uh, let's bring in Stephanie Rawlings Blake, uh, the former mayor of Baltimore and uh, a friend of the show. Uh, Stephanie, always great to see you. Great to be seen. <laughs> Great to be seen. Okay, I'm going to quote. <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that. All right, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, where where do you think uh, he's at right now? Because I, there, there are some progressives out there that, as you might imagine, want him to do more. Uh, give me a thirty thousand foot view to begin with as to where where you think he's at so far. Thirty thousand foot view. He is balancing the needs of the country with the uh, priorities of the Democratic Party. And he's shown himself to be a statesman, a one, a person who puts uh, country first. And we're going to have this friction between uh, what some uh, parts of the Democratic Party want and what I think um, the vast majority of Americans want. So that's the friction that you see playing out right now. But at the end of the day, we know, um, well, I know that uh, Joe Biden's a stand-up guy. He's always going to look for a way forward and look for the, you know, to, to do it in, the, in a way um, that is fair and just and inclusive. One of the schisms happened the other night at the debate. I want to quickly play some of this for you. It was about student loan forgiveness and Biden obviously rejecting $50,000 in student loan forgiveness, this plan that's out there by some progressives. Have a, have a look, just to remind our viewers. We need student loan forgiveness beyond the potential $10,000 your administration has proposed. We need at least a $50,000 minimum. What will you do to make that happen? I will not make that happen. I like the way you said that. <laughs> I will not make that happen, actually. Well, at least he's honest. Uh, what, what's your take? Because AOC wasn't wasn't too pleased with it and some of the, the folks uh, there uh, in the progressive caucus. You know, I think uh, so many on the right uh, were suggesting that as soon as uh, Biden took his oath of office, he would turn over the reins of the country to the progressives. And that clearly is not happening. You know, we have a a president who understands that whatever he does, it has to make uh, sense fiscally as well as, uh, you know, ethically and morally. And we know that student loan, uh, student loans are a problem for everyday Americans, but he wants to find a way forward that doesn't um, continue to, well, further put the country in a bad fiscal condition. Stephanie, you mentioned just right now, you said, uh, just quoting you that, um, He's not giving, basically taking, giving the reins over to the progressives of the party. So is that a good thing or, or something? Because that, that's not going to make the progressives happy and, and there's this tension in the party. 
So, I mean, I think if it's if you're if your trade is in conflict, it's a bad I mean, it's you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a good thing as far as, you know, him not turning it over because it presents, you know, a conflict that we'll be able to talk about every single day. Um, if if your your focus is on uh, trying to find consensus, trying to find um, things that we can agree uh, agree on it, it's um, you know, it might be a challenge because I, I think this this president wants to look for common ground, wants to look for win-wins. And, um, you know, that's not always exciting. Yeah. But here's one of the issues, though, Stephanie, going forward. you got a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill on the table. Uh, Republicans want $600 billion. Well, that's going to be too low. And they think $1.9 is too high. You would think there would be something in the middle, a deal to be done. Do, do you think that's the way forward? Because that is exactly what you're talking about. I mean, that that's the way to build consensus. But Democrats, the most Democrats want this done on reconciliation. They want to pass the whole big $1.9 trillion enchilada. They don't want, like, $1.9 and less money and all. They don't want that. I think the Democrats are going to, to, to lead and they're going to govern. Um, I think the, the, the facts are clear. Uh, Biden has a history of working across the aisle, trying to come up with win-wins. He's trying to do that in this case. If the Republicans are unwilling to, to work with him, um, he's going to do what he's what he should do as uh, the elected leader of our country, and that's move forward. Uh, again, we would all like to see it to uh, be a bipartisan effort. Um, but if he cannot uh, get there, I, I don't well, think that means he needs to stop. But you have 10 Republicans. Forward. Yeah, you have 10 Republicans that came into his office about a few a few weeks ago saying we we got to we got to we want to do a deal. So maybe maybe he can work with those 10 Republicans. That that would be the preference, I would think. I think he wants to work with those 10 Republicans. I think, you know, how that happens is yet to be seen. I'm optimistic because I believe in working across the aisle. I believe in looking for win-wins. But again, you know, we're not living in those times. Right. I want to play you or not play you, excuse me. I want to put up something on the screen about what some of the progressives are are, are saying. Uh, This is their wish list, as you might imagine. It's a it's a pretty extensive wish list, but they want Democrats to come to the uh, to the table for sure. And uh, basically, they want to make sure in his first hundred days uh, that they want to make sure that basically uh, and there it is a plan to win the first hundred days to make sure. President Biden's first 100 days are a resounding success. They call on leaders in Congress to unify the country against Republicans, legislate aggressively, bring popular progressive bills to the floor to support the working people struggling to get by. And then they say, when Republicans stand in your way, show America that they are the obstructionists, blocking policies that broad bipartisanship majorities of Americans support. They go on to say, when Democrats run into Republican obstruction, they should reform Senate rules to get around it. But, Stephanie, that would be exactly the opposite of what Joe Biden was talking about when he talked about unity. I mean, to bring people together, you, you can't operate like that, right? Yeah, but I think it's a bit disingenuous for Republicans to talk about unity and, um, you know, trying to bring people together when, um, you know, I, I think we should we should lead by the example that was set by the the uh, last leaders in the in the senate and they certainly uh led with a a heavy hand um moving their agenda forward at every turn and uh again i think you should try for bipartisanship always uh but if that's not possible um i think we use the example that uh, mitch mcconnell set and just move forward all right stephanie rollings break always great to see you appreciate you being here take care all right 
look, I mean, I, I think we see what the Democrats are, are going to be about here. They're going to uh, they're going to see how much they can get from Republicans. If they don't feel like they're getting enough, then they're going to cut it off and say, forget about it. You know, 1.1, 1.2, they'll say, forget it. We'll just do the $1.9 trillion COVID stimulus bill. I mean, I, I think the, I believe that even though Biden wants to meet in the middle, I'm not quite sure that he can actually get there. I think ultimately they're going to pass things through reconciliation as it relates to COVID. They might even have to pass immigration through reconciliation. It could blow up in their faces big time in 2022 if they do all of this. We're back in a minute with a state representative from South Carolina who's a pro-life Democrat. Whoa, back in a moment. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. I, I tell you what, there is a big story going on in South Carolina. There is the fetal heart, uh, excuse me, the, the fetal uh, heartbeat bill, I should be able to pronounce it, and I think I finally did, uh, down in South Carolina. And uh, what's interesting in, about this bill is that, yeah, the Republicans are on board, but there is a, a, a Democrat down there by the name of Russell Ott, state representative in South Carolina, there he is, uh, who went ahead uh, and voted for this bill. I got to tell you, talk about endangered species in the Democrat Party, pro-life Democrats, hard to find. But we found Russell Ott, the state representative. He joins us now uh, down from South Carolina. Uh, Russell, really appreciate you being here on the water cooler. Thanks, David. Thank you for having me. Well, we'll tell our viewers a little bit about this bill. I understand the governor is signing it uh, today. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about the bill and, and why you got behind it. Sure. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people know about the bill. It's, it's, it has been named the fetal heartbeat bill. And and, you know, a lot of people believe that that ultimately it would it would do away with the vast majority of abortions um, in South Carolina because it would back up the date by which, uh, you know, a, a, an abortion would be able to, to to be had to the to approximately the six week mark when when a heartbeat can be detected. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 we've debated this in the past. In the past, the House has actually passed a version of this. Uh, two years ago, but the Senate, um, the Senate was was able to stop it two years ago. So you know this is this is not new ground for the South Carolina House of Representatives. Um, you know we've debated abortion bills. It seems like each and every year, and and that's what I would point out, David. You know you you said I'm an endangered species. I don't necessarily think that I am. I, I think, quite frankly, there's a lot of folks that identifies as being a Democrat and and also identifies being pro-life, but. You know, I think both parties have done a great job of kind of weaponizing this issue and and driving people to the fringes and, and scaring people that that may in a, be in a position like myself to actually speak out. Um, mm -hmm. So I hope if nothing else, uh, you know, I, I hope Democrats that that look at this issue like myself, that acknowledge that it's not easy, uh, you know, that there's a lot that goes into it and that hopefully we can, you know, continue to look at things from the, the perspective of. Uh, not just fighting for the unborn um, or fighting, you know, for, for birth, but let's fight to make the lives of these kids and the lives of these mothers mm -hmm. who find themselves in these positions um, better than, than what they currently are.
No, absolutely, uh, Russell. And, and in terms of the endangered species uh, line, if you will, I think from a national perspective, obviously, maybe not down in South Carolina, but the, the Democrat Party is clearly, I mean, if you just look, obviously, at, at air quote pro-life Democrats uh, in the past, there's a lot less of them at the national level uh, than there are today. And, and so I'm just wondering why you think that that might be and, and how the Democrat Party, I mean, I feel like the Democrat Party could gain a whole lot more uh, voters especially in the Rust Belt and some other places around the country, if they could uh, at least see this, this life issue a little bit more differently. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. You know, I certainly think that, again, elected officials, um, you know, it, it's what I was talking about earlier with parties. I, I think the parties hold quite a bit of sway over elected officials and, you know, um, certainly like to try to tell elected officials where their constituents um, lie, or, or or what their thoughts are, and and you know there there is, there there can be an intimidation factor of of stepping out of line. Um, but I think that's indicative and problematic, not only in our state but across the country as well. When when people that have been sent to to represent their districts and their constituents um, feel like they're being forced into positions, and and so, you know, again. I, I talk with a lot of folks that 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 certainly um, have supported me, whether they identify as Democrat or Republican or label themselves that way, uh, but but certainly understand this issue. And and you know, it, again, going back, it's not an easy issue. Yeah. Um, and I and I and I do push back on people that that make it sound like it's it's so black and white. Uh, when there, when there's a lot of nuances involved that need to be taken into consideration. No, for sure. And you represent your constituents. I'm wondering what kind of pushback you receive from folks in your own party, though. I mean, it's got to be. Sometimes you got. It's got to feel tough for you, like a man on an island, to a degree at times. Well, you know, it, it certainly it does. Um, I have a great caucus, and, and that's what I yeah. told people. I am. I am very proud to be in the, the South Carolina House Democratic Caucus. Uh, you know, we 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 talk about being the big big tent party and and not having to have everyone with the same opinions. Um, and I think that's certainly representative of the people that I serve beside here in the house. and And so, you know, I, uh, the pressure, I don't think ultimately is there. You know, I think this conversation needs to be started, and I'm glad that I can be a part of it to to show people that, you know, I, I do believe that the Democratic Party is a place that, that everyone can come and bring their ideas and and and, and find a place to to um to thrive. Would you like to see obviously more of these pro-life Democrats uh, start to populate the Democrat Party again? It's uh, from at least from a national perspective. Sure, but again, David, you know the, the we have become very um, comfortable with just saying pro-life and pro-choice right. and putting it into that camp either on the left or the right. And, and that's, you know, to me, it's more about having a discussion about what that actually means, because I, there's not a there's not a member that I serve beside that does not consider themselves pro-life. And so I just think that we are we will continue to feed into this this wedge issue um, if, if we continue to use terminology like that. So. I would love that if, if people support the position that I took yesterday, uh, which is to acknowledge life in the womb um, from conception on, you know, and, and, and believe that that, that baby uh, deserves the right to, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, just like anyone else in America. Um, and, you know, but at the same time, acknowledging that 
we need to do better about asking why women who I can't put myself in their shoes or understand what they're going through at that particular time, you know, why do they feel like that's their only option? Um, and, and try to figure out solutions to, to not make them feel that way. And, you know, and that's providing them the, the help and the support that they need. Um, that is making sure that their, their kids have access to, to quality education and, mm -hmm. and access to health care, you know, at a very early age. Right. You know, I live in, in, in rural parts of South Carolina and we don't, we don't even have right. broadband activity across the state. So yeah. um, that's what I'd like for us to focus on also. Russell Lott, state representative down in South Carolina. Really appreciate you being on the show. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Russell Lott uh, taking a stand down there in South Carolina. Once again, uh, the, the, the fetal heartbeat bill, uh, controversial in South Carolina and also across the country, but it's done in other states as well. We'll have more in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, today, in today's society, uh, it, it's out of control. It really is. If you are a pastor in this country and you want to preach the gospel, you better watch out because the government is watching, especially during this time of COVID-19. I mean, for example, look what's going on up in Canada. Look at this. Near Edmonton, Canada, out there, Al Alberta, that's the province, Alberta pastor who defied COVID-19 rules, refuses bail conditions, remains in custody. That's right. James Coates is the pastor of a church up there outside of Edmonton in Canada, and he is sitting in a jail cell because he will not agree to the conditions that have been set forth regarding COVID. They wanted a 15% capacity. They want him to close down the church. And so he said, no, I'm not doing any of that. And so they said, you know what? Well, then here, tell you what, we're going to lock you up. And that's exactly what they did. It's in, it, this is insane stuff. Uh, Pastor Brian Gibson, back with us on the show, founder of Peaceably Gather. Brian, uh, good to see you, sir. Hey, it's great to be with you today, David. Uh, you know, I, I thought of you immediately because you've been preaching about this. Uh, you have been right in the middle of all of this, right at the, actually not in the middle. You're on the front lines of this uh, as it relates to COVID and churches. You have your own personal experience on all of this. Uh, give me your reaction uh, first on what's going up in, uh, on in Canada there. Well, first and foremost, I want to thank Pastor Coates for being a real man of God, for standing up when the fire comes and the adversity comes. And a lot of guys would tap out and come out of that jail in a second. Mm -hmm. He said, no, we're not going to bow our knee to Caesar. We only bow our knee to Christ. And I'll stay in this jail uh, until we can worship the way we're supposed to worship. The scripture clearly says that, that we're not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together in a physical way. Now, none of us are against online ministry. We all do that. But there's something sacred. There's something special about the church coming together. Church itself means a sacred assembly. It's the Greek word ekklesia. So Pastor Coates is standing up for the ancient Christian faith and religious liberty, and he's being jailed for it. And it's unacceptable, man. We need to rally around this man of God. Pastor, how, how do Americans go about doing that, rallying around uh, th this cause, if you will? Because quite frankly, uh, this seems to be on the rise. It seems to be gathering steam as it relates to more crackdowns on churches, not just in Canada, but here in America. We saw that uh, during the beginning stages of COVID, and we're still seeing it to a degree. Yeah, I think uh, number one, 
uh, go to a church that is physically open and back a pastor that is not afraid of a governor's uh, dictate or mandate. These are highly unconstitutional. So find the men and women of God who will stand up for religious liberty and stand up for what's right, what's true biblical revelation. Get behind them, number one. Attend there. Number two, support them financially. Uh, a lot of these groups are facing legal fees. They're facing persecution. They have trouble, uh, and, and we ought to get behind them. Third thing, you need to make your voice heard uh, in the political arena. Light up your reps. Light up your senators. Light up anybody you can call, and just don't back down. It's a time now, if we allow our First Amendment rights to fall and the freedom of religion to fall, everything else is coming afterwards. Listen, every day a church is closed a bit of liberty dies. Liberty flows from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's time for us to get vocal. Now, this is a little different situation for us as Americans, because this is Canada, but Canada does have the freedom of religion, the freedom of association, the freedom of assembly. They have these rights. Uh, they better get active now, because you give, you give tyrannical leadership an inch, and it will absolutely take a mile. We've already got people calling uh, for Peaceably Gather, the organization I run. You can find it pg.today. Uh, I've got men and I've got women that want to go to Canada tomorrow and attend this church this weekend as soon as they can to get up and show support. So I think we need to let these people know they're not alone and we're in their corner. Yeah, 100 percent, Pastor. Uh, where, where is this going eventually? You said this is just the beginning, like everything else. If, we, if, if you don't make a stand now, then there are going to be other uh, issues, uh, problems. Where is this going? Because you mentioned the words everything else. What, what is everything else? What, what's the bigger, even the bigger concern, not just about a church building here? Yeah, well, I think it's the total su suppression of rights as a human. Got it. If you won't toe the line, and do what those that are in power tell you to do. If you won't be good little boys and girls and say what they want you to say, educate your kids in a manner that makes them happy, right? Uh, line up for their new secular religion. They're coming after you. And right now it's canceling you. Right now this guy's literally in jail, but I think they'll want more and more. So we better stop it now or the freedoms we've experienced as Americans, they will be over. And I'll tell you, the problem with so many Americans, David, is we've lived comfortable lives, we've lived uh, consumer-driven lives, and we haven't seen what it's like in these totalitarian nations. Used to, you had to go to China, you had to go to Vietnam, you had to go to Iran to see this. Well, now it feels like China, Vietnam, or Iran has come to our home. So I, for one, uh, will not allow them to take our rights, to shut our churches down. I'll never close our church. Uh, I think it's an honor for this man to go to jail for Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's better to obey God than man. So we need to get that attitude. You know, Pastor, as we wrap up here, uh, the, the, um, the government, uh, state, local, whatever you want to call it, even federal, all talks about it's all being done, for, you know, because of public health, right? You know, oh, we're just, we're just trying. And I've, I'll be honest with you. I've never bought that from the very beginning. Uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that there isn't a public health element to it, okay? But, but there just seems to be something a little bit more going on here because it just seems like, I don't know, the, the church might be able to get pushed around a little bit more easily. Yeah, they, uh, you know, people that want to control and those that are wicked will never let a so-called crisis go to waste. Right. They're going to use it. So they're taking this, they're using it to see how far 
Can they push us and take our rights away? And what's scary is watching America that used to be the rugged individualist become so compliant. And uh, I'll tell you what, we didn't become America. We, we didn't become the greatest nation on the earth by being compliant little lambs. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what we need is we need a group of lions right now. We need a group of people that'll stand up and say, nah, you're not coming any further. This, this is it. And I'll tell you, the, yeah. the people that need to be leading this are the man of God, men of God, women of God. And I'll say this, I've said it a bunch of times. Uh, politicians don't tell prophets what to do. Prophets yeah. tell politicians what to do. I love it. Can you give me one come on? I like when you do that. Come on. <laughs> come on, David. Come on. Let's give the Lord an amen. Huh? <laughs> oh, now it's a complete live shot. All right. <laughs> hey, Pastor Gibson, great to see you. Peaceably gather with Brian Gibson. Please go there and take a look. All right. We're back in a moment with the last set. And welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. It's time for... You got it. The last sip. Don't you love this segment? I love it. <laughs> Who cares if I love it? But before we get to the last sip, well, I say before we get to the last sip. No, we're going to go to the last sip because we're in the segment. But guess what? We're going to do the poll today, and, and there's a really cool announcer. You probably heard, if you watch the show, you know he says, uh, poll of the day in this really cool voice. So I'm going to do the voice. Then he's going to do the voice. And I'd be curious what you think. Who does the voice better? You can you can do the water cooler at justthenews.com. Just email us at the water cooler at justthenews.com. Here we go. The poll of the day. The water cooler poll of the day. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. I don't know if I did it better or he did it better. All right, here's the poll of the day. Does a more powerful government lead to less individual freedom. <laughs> really? Okay. Sorry. I editorialized. Just read, read it, right? Just, I should just read it. 63%. Uh, yes, of course, a more powerful government leads to less individual freedom. 22% say no. Really? 15% say not sure. So let me get this straight. 37%. I'm doing math here. 22 plus 15. 37% of people either think that a more powerful government does not lead to less individual freedom, or they're just not sure. Here's the bottom line. Of course, a more, can I weigh in on this poll? Thank you. I'm not part of the 63%, but now you can maybe, maybe make it 63.1%. Of course, a more powerful government leads to less individual freedom. I mean, I don't know. Just look it up in the history books. I mean, hmm, let me think. Oh, that's right. We're America because, oh, that's right. The Revolutionary War, Britain, tea. Boston Tea Party. Can I go on? Can I talk about King George for a second? Anyhow, and by the way, for you Gen Zers out there, don't think King George and Hamilton. Look it up. King George, I'm telling you, we're trying to escape tyranny in this country, correct? And oh, by the way, speaking of tyranny, what we talked about at the top of the show, Andrew Cuomo, what's going on in New York, insane. Gavin Newsom, why do we call him King Newsom? The authoritative government, the more power government has, the less power you have. Why do you have less power? Because, hmm, let me think about it. Because the government has more power and someone has to have the power. And if someone's gonna have the power, wouldn't you rather it be you? Than the government, people you don't even know about. I'm getting all worked up. I need a sedative. Back in a moment. And welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, end of the show. So it's time for, you guessed it, Sophie Mann is here. Sophie, great to see you. Good to see you, David. You're not in this chair. 
Yes. No, I'm not. No, because you know what? Thank you for hosting the <laughs> Oh, my God, day. of course. It was so fun. What was that? Oh, my gosh. No, I'm, I'm saying it was the best. It well, was, great. like, such a great experience. Bucket list. Just kidding. But I'm glad you're back here today, yesterday, and hopefully tomorrow. Well, hopefully tomorrow. Hopefully tomorrow. You know what we say? We say Lord willing. Lord willing. Tomorrow. Okay, whatever. Correct. Uh, what's going on today? Uh, is something about life expectancy rate? Am I going to, mm. like, live? I'm not going to live as long. What's happening? Yeah, so I don't know that this is something that we typically pay a super amount of attention to um, in the American media, but during a pandemic year, we're going to. Okay. So on Thursday, the government released its findings that for the first six months of 2020, based on data accrued during that time, mm -hmm. um, the average life expectancy rate of an American decreased by one full year, wow. which is a lot. It often, in the past, you know, decade, half decade or so due to complex societal issues like the opioid pandemic has gone down a little, risen back up, fallen again. Mm -hmm. But this is the first time since World War II that we've seen the rate decline this quickly. Yeah. And also what we're seeing is that it, that figure is impacting certain communities much more than others. The African-American community in America, for instance, took a 2.7 year hit oh, wow. off of their average life expectancy, which now brings the gap between the average expectancy of an African-American and a white American, the gap between those two sets of data is six years, which is the widest it's been in at least two decades, mm. if not more. Now, the relative silver lining here is that the last time we had a pandemic, mm -hmm. which was a long time ago, it was yeah. 1918, exactly. Yes. So when that happened, the average life expectancy rate fell by a whopping 11 years oh, in wow. one year, which actually at the time brought the average life expectancy rate to 39 years old. My goodness. That was just 100 years ago, if you can imagine. Yeah. But what happened the next year as deaths sort of... Um, tapered off yeah, and the pandemic off. passed was that that entire loss was mm -hmm. regained instantly in one year. It went from 11 years off to 11 years back on. Okay. So what scientists are saying right now is that, yes, this is sort of a disastrous figure. I mean, it's unfortunate. It's shocking. It's terrible, yeah. especially in a first world country that leads the charge in so many ways. Mm -hmm. But they think that next year, depending on how the rest of the pandemic plays out, we could be okay. We could see that year come right back. All right. So the blip could level off and be yeah. back. We could be back. We could be back. And hopefully we are. <laughs> hopefully we are. Hopefully we're back tomorrow. We will be. Mark Meckler on the show, the parlor CEO. How about that? Boy, we're good. We have a lot of good guests on the show. I can't wait for tomorrow. Bye.